0: Hey friends, welcome to episode 61 of the Fierce Calling Podcast. I'm your host, Doris Swift, and I'm thankful that you are listening in today. And I want to encourage you, you know, there's a lot of things happening in the world right now that are really concerning, and that's putting it lightly, Uh, but God is sovereign. And that very thing that's stirring within you, that's causing all kinds of emotions, that may be the very thing that God is calling you to to use your gifts and the voice he's given you to impact the world for Christ and speak his truth into the lives of others where your passion, compassion, and conviction intersect. Here's calling. And I love talking about that. So I would love an opportunity to talk with you about speaking at your next women's event about how God empowers us with boldness to speak his truth. So check out my speaker page at doriswithcom and we can connect about that. Today, my guest is Cindy DeBoer. She is going to share how God seemingly flipped her and her family's lives upside down, when in reality, it was right side up. But they were living what we would refer to as the American dream. They had all the things, right? But something was missing. There was something in their marriage that needed to be revealed. Her and her husband needed to reveal to each other and work through. And then they were able to ask this question, how shall we live if we really want to live what we say we believe? God, God answered that question, and you'll hear what happened next. Listen in while I have a chat with Cindy DeBoer. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Fierce Calling Podcast. Today, I am so excited to welcome my friend Cindy DeBoer. She's a blogger, a psychiatric nurse. Which I find that totally fascinating. <laughs> and a recovering unmissionary, which she'll share more about. And she has. A blog called Far, Far Better Things. Hello. <laughs> Thanks, Dave. Hey, Cindy. Hi.
1: How are you?
0: I'm great. We went through a program together, Chad Allen's program, which is uh, Book Proposal Academy Elite. And we were in a group of what, maybe 10 or 12 of us? Yeah,
1: something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was
0: a real intimate group. And Chad just mentored us the whole way. And his assistant, Jody, was amazing. And we actually got an opportunity to meet all together in Grand Rapids for a live event.
1: Yeah, it was beautiful.
0: Yeah, it was an amazing, an amazing place too that we were able to meet at. So Cindy, I would love if you would share a little bit about your story with our listeners today and how you're taking action where your passion, compassion and conviction intersect.
1: All right, that's a loaded question. So yeah, I'll just start with the, the foundation of my story is so typical in the beginning, the born and raised Christian, um, wonderful family, small town went to church twice on Sunday, did all the things right. One time when I was in high school, the mother of a young man that I went to high school with told me that I was the girl that mothers were praying that their sons would marry. Like I was that girl, just the good girl, just did everything right. You know, jumped through all the right hoops and said the right things and taught Sunday school and actually even married my high school sweetheart. However, so we started off this beautiful marriage, both from church, church background, strong believers. And we thought that we had a great, solid biblical covenant with God in our marriage. But it wasn't until we had been married 12 years that both of us felt that we hadn't been honest with each other. And there came this point of confession. And we both had It was sexual promiscuity in our college years that um, we had to confess to each other. Mm -hmm. And that confession was like, God just burst open this dam in our lives. Up until that point, we would have said we had a great marriage, but it it wasn't. It was only good. And that's Mm -hmm. when the greatness began. We would have said God was using us, but he wasn't. It was a limited availability because of this sin in our life. And both my husband and I had felt God had forgiven us. We had no question about that, but it took confessing to each other and receiving each other's forgiveness that we felt God just said, you needed complete wholeness. And to get complete wholeness, you have to be wholly forgiven. And God can forgive you, but when your spouse forgives you, then you are wholly forgiven. Mm. (laughs) W-H-O-L-L-Y. That was really the, the transformative moment in my life. Um, we were in our thirties and that's when we say God flipped our lives right side up because we had been living upside down. And when we got our lives right side up, we, we just completely changed the trajectory of where we were headed. Prior to that, we were both just very focused on careers making money getting ahead we had built our dream house and had a cottage and multiple cars and fancy vacations and it still it was never enough and we were moving forward faster 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 until this whole flip happened and the the complete pathway of our lives changed drastically wow. I, don't
0: I wanted to comment on a few things that you yeah. said i mean what you were talking about how you both would say that your marriage was good Mm-hmm. But it was not the marriage that it could be until yep. you all did that. And where you were saying, um, how did you word that? You were saying that you both weren't accessible because of that. And then you were able to move forward when you both had that realization and the Lord revealed that to you. That's amazing.
1: Absolutely. It, yeah. it didn't make sense until we looked back. Because, like I said, we thought God was using us. We thought we were you know operating fully in the kingdom until we got right with the Lord. and then it, it was just such this gush of of His love and forgiveness on us and our ability then to love ourselves, mm-hmm. which is a prerequisite to being able to love others. And until we went through that whole process, we weren't able to turn around and love on other people the way God wants us to love on them. And when you're harboring sin and lies, your marriage will never be what it fully is meant to be in God. And your ministry can never fully be what it's meant to be in God. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what we were doing. We were harboring lies from each other and a sinful past. And so coming clean had everything to do with God using us.
0: That reminds me in my Goodbye Regret book, there's a line that says, Before we can be made clean, we have to come clean.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so, so cool. that's
0: yeah, exactly what you're saying. And that's that's beautiful. And that's gonna bless somebody today. It might be something that they're striving, striving, striving to live, you know, the American dream or to Feel like they've arrived or they've had success by what the world tells us success looks like, but that's not Mm -hmm. what God's view of success is and keep going with that story.
1: Well, yeah, I remember because I journal a lot. I remember writing at that time, if life is a game, we're winning. Like Paul and I were winning as we looked around us at the, the things that life can give you. And, you know, we had it health, wealth. Great position in the community and respect and leadership. And he had his own private accounting firm and it was doing really well. And I was working at a hospital in Grand Rapids and doing really well. And yet we were so empty. So that was part of the impetus of uh, leading to the confession. But you know, even that it wasn't like we woke up the next day and suddenly God spoke to us. Well, one thing we started doing was praying together every night before we went to bed. And we had not had a consistent prayer life in our marriage up until that point. So that was hugely transformative that we were spending intentional time together in prayer every night. But then we made a a decision to have a very focused prayer of what if we lived what we said we believe, because we had thought we were living according to God's plan for our life for the first 12 years of our marriage. But we started to see those red letters of the Bible a little bit differently when this whole transformation happened. And so we started that specific prayer, what if we lived what we said we believed? And then we just asked God to show us what would that look like? What would life look like if we really lived out the life of a follower of Christ. And man, we started praying that every night and it took only maybe a couple of weeks and some major things happened in our life. One of the first things was the Lord put adoption on our hearts and we had not really planned on that at all in our marriage. And with a bonus check that my husband got, it suddenly, I mean, prior to that, we always used his bonus checks to, Oh, buy a, buy a boat, buy a bigger car, buy a, you know, let's home theater. We put in a pool, like, and all of a sudden that felt like sin. How in the world can we take this money and just keep spending it on us Mm -hmm. when the world has such great need and adoption was laid on our heart. So one of the first things we did is after that prayer of how now shall we live Lord? (laughs) um, We adopted a child from Guatemala and going to Guatemala, visiting that country a few times through the adoption process, huge huge change in our lives just opened our eyes to the developing world to true poverty true need to the crisis of orphans globally Mm -hmm. opened our eyes to so many things probably the the best part was that it just opened our eyes to how big God is and that just began the next phase of what God was going to be doing with our lives. And we had three other biological children at the time, and it led all of us to pursue God in a much more um, intentional way and really ask about how we should live with our finances. And it wasn't long after that, we were part of a small group within our church and had had a woman, a single mom that had great need. And we gave her our car, just gave it to her. It was, it was a car that was worth a lot of money and just felt like that was the right thing to do. She was not making it and she needed a car and we had extra and things like that just continue to unfold. And the more we surrendered our agenda, our goals, our dreams, our passions, like you're never going to have a big enough house. We had a huge house, but we still thought it should be bigger. And we had a nice cottage, but we still thought it should be better. And when we started surrendering those dreams and just asking God, but how should we live? Following you. Those dreams just went away. And all we could think about was how to bless others, how to give more away, how to live more simply, how to live simply so others can simply live. We ended up selling our dream home and we ended up moving overseas two different times for a total of six years with our four little kids in tow. We lived in France for two years working with North Africans. And then we lived in Morocco for four years, right in the midst of the Muslim world. And all of that was. Really, the fallout or the blessing from asking God, How shall we live if we really want to live what we say we believe? What does that look like? That's
0: amazing. I love too how you were saying that you and your husband began praying together Mm -hmm. because that was so powerful. And then submission is so key. Absolutely. Things just transformation just begins with that submission and that submissive heart. And then how you said that you all began to live more simply so that others can simply live. That is a powerful statement to make. And you're right. We just look at, as we would say, the American dream, and it's always bigger, bigger, better, better, but yet how you were feeling that it was all just, why are we spending this all on ourselves? Right. And then the emptiness that you originally felt by those things began to overflow, like full and overflow. Right. So yeah. what was it like that? I mean, how was it with, for your kids when you first? said, okay, we're, we're selling all this stuff and we're going to move to Morocco. (laughs) Like what? (laughs) How'd that go?
1: (laughs) Uh, Well, as you can expect, not great. So our first overseas move was to France and our oldest was 11. And then we had a nine-year-old, a five-year-old and a one-year-old. So our adopted daughter was only one at the time. And, you know, the beautiful thing, about the way our lives changed from you know having a lot of money power influence and then flipping it upside down and walking away from all of that our oldest two who are both boys got to witness that front row seat from anything they wanted they could have to actually we're going to sell all that stuff and we're going to move to another country and you got to say goodbye to grandpa and grandma and your cousins and the beautiful, beautiful thing that came out of that are these two young men now today who have this faith in a God that they would have never known had they not been put through such a, a challenge. They, as young boys, of course, they said, no, we don't want to move. We're not on board. And we, all we did was we asked them to pray about it. We said, can you just give this a few weeks of prayer? As a family, we prayed about it. We want you to pray about it individually And then come back to us and see if God changes your heart about it. They both decided they were ready to move to France. So that happened, you know, our younger two were almost too young to really even understand that France is halfway around the world. It's not just down the street. And the second time when we moved to Morocco, all of the kids were old enough to weigh in. Our two oldest were going to be in high school. So they were going to graduate from high school in Muslim Morocco. And our younger two were junior high and elementary. So they were all very aware of what Morocco is and how it's not Michigan. And they were very aware of the sacrifice that they would be making and the friends that they would have to say goodbye to. And it was a much more challenging um, decision. But again, just by asking them to pray about it, All four kids came back and said, yeah, we're supposed to do this. And to this day, they will tell you it was the best thing that ever happened to them. Like it just changed us all to the, such a profound level that we would never want to be the people we were before.
0: Yeah. And I love that you gave the kids an opportunity to hear from God too. Like, you know, as parents, sometimes it's just because I said, so or because (laughs) we're doing this, we're the parents, you're the kids, you're supposed to follow what we say, which is true, but what an amazing blessing and a picture of godly parenting to send those kids off on their own to say, you pray about it. And what do you think God's telling you Mm -hmm. so that everybody's on the same page? And because wasn't that such a blessing to transition with everybody feeling?
1: Oh, for sure.
0: That it was a call versus we got to go because mom and dad said
1: so. I mean, Paul and I were so sure this is what God wanted for us, but I can't imagine having done it with our kids kicking and screaming, you know, like, I I don't know what we would have done. Like we wanted them to be on board, but we wanted God to get them on board, not us. It has to be from him. And I gotta tell you this really cool story about our son Josiah, who's number two, he was entering high school when we were feeling the call to move to Morocco. And so we were back in Michigan, between France and Morocco, we were back in Michigan. And our our school system here is phenomenal. And he he had a lot of friends. He's Handsome and athletic, and he was just going to be the jock in the high school and probably get the cheerleader. I don't know what the jock gets, but anyway, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, he didn't want to go to Morocco. Like, who would? Mm-hmm. Why do I want to pack up all of this possibility as he's entering this fun stage of life and go halfway around the world and live in a developing country? So again, we asked him to pray about it, and he just kept for a couple of weeks that I'm just not feeling it. I'm not feeling it, and as a family, Paul and I were even praying about, well, maybe this isn't from God. Then if Josiah is not on board, we're not going to do this. One day he came home from school and he was standing in the kitchen. He's like, mom, we need to talk. He said, God just spoke to me in the cafeteria today. I'm like, what? And he said, yeah, my friends were actually picking on a girl that she's kind of a loner. She sits by herself. She's not very attractive. And a couple of my friends made some really mean comments to her. And he goes, some of these guys are my best friends. And he said, I just had this moment where I thought, this is not who I am. This is not who I want to be. And if I stay here, I'm going to become more Of this, I'm not going to be able to. I don't have the strength to lead this friend group. I don't have the strength to stand up for myself. And he just said, I don't want to be that guy. I do not want to be that guy. And he said, So I want to move to Morocco.
0: Wow. What (laughs) a profound
1: moment in the cafeteria and then for mom in the kitchen. I, We wept together. We hugged each other and wept. And he was fourteen. And let me tell you, when your fourteen-year-old son says something like that—that God spoke to him in the cafeteria, that he saw his future and didn't like what he saw—and he's like, "I I just we got to go. I can't do this." And he was the last of the six of us to come around. (laughs) So we went. And let me tell you, that boy more than well, they all all of our kids thrived, but Mm -hmm. he thrived from high school in Morocco, and he had all four years of high school there and graduated from that high school. And so he did great.
0: That is so precious. Children are called to something too. And their mission is just as important to reach their age group or even, even adults. That just moved my heart amazingly, because I don't know that there's many adults that would come to that realization. That was a very mature thing.
1: It was. Yeah. And of course, only from the Holy spirit, because if you've only been on the planet 14 years, you will. You don't have the same understanding of the Holy Spirit that a 50 year old does, or whatever. So, yeah, it was, it was totally miraculous.
0: Yeah. And what an amazing thing, too, regarding identity, because you, not only for you and your husband, but for your children, flipped what identity is really about. We, can tend to tie our identity into what we've achieved, what kind of jobs we have, what kind of car we're driving, what kind of house we live in, whatever that is could become what our identity is. Do we have like a perfect credit rating, different things like that. We tend to be told that should connect to who we are or our identity. And by giving that blessing of, let's see what God wants to do with us for the furtherance of his kingdom. And let's live As followers of Christ,
1: Mm -hmm. who we really are. That's so beautiful. I think one thing, as you talk about identity, one thing all four of our kids were able to redefine themselves through all of those experiences was as, and this is just something that you rarely hear in the Christian world, but our kids identify themselves as brave Christians. Mm -hmm. They're not just Christians. They're brave Christians and, and recognize that the world needs more brave Christians. Not that we're all called to foreign service or that we have to sell our house and move to the inner city, or but to engage in a dark world that is full of challenge and sin, you do have to have bra- bravery and courage and And to walk away from the narrative that the script for your life that seems so clearly laid out, to walk away from that takes courage. And, you know, I think that's probably what I know my husband and I feel this way. I I think four for four, our kids would agree that became our new identity. Like, yeah, brave Christians.
0: Wow. That is the title of one of your books. Cindy. (laughs) Brave Christians. Okay. I'm going to be waiting for that one to come okay. out because that's awesome. So then you were in Morocco in a country that is like nearly a hundred percent Muslim. And so what was that like for your family and what kind of interactions and relationships were you able to build while you were there?
1: Well, this is why I describe in my bio that I am an unmissionary because I think, you know, our community here in the States, our church and our friends and our family, the only term they know to use for people that move to a foreign country, especially when that foreign country is Muslim, or if it's Buddhist or Hindu or whatever, the only word they have for that is missionary. And Paul and I felt very strongly that um, because Morocco is a closed country, you're not free to proselytize in that country. In Mm -hmm. fact, you're risking your life, or at least to get kicked out. But even to honor the people that we would meet and know we wanted to be a hundred percent honest and authentic. And so we did not want to raise money to send us over there because as soon as you do that, then, then you're a missionary. Mm -hmm. And, and so we felt very strongly that Paul needed gainful employment that we were gonna be open and honest about our faith, which is not illegal in a closed Mm -hmm. country. As a foreigner, it's perfectly acceptable and it's not against the law to live out your faith, but you're just not allowed to proselytize, which is a gray area when you get into these Muslim nations. For us, it was just something we felt very strongly about. Like we're not gonna cross that gray line. And and we also, yeah, we did not wanna raise funding for it. So we lived out our faith. We made tons of friends. We also stood out a little bit. Some in the um, expat community tend to kind of cluster together and just stay friends with other Americans or maybe the British or Australians or something. We didn't. We lived in a community. All of our neighbors were Moroccan. We, we got to know the the store owners, the restaurant owners, and we especially the friends that our kids made. Th- which were all Moroccan Muslim. Their parents became our friends, and we had really strong Moroccan community. And it was so transformative for us. I can't even believe that we brought as much as what we received, because mm-hmm. we felt so loved. The Moroccan people were very hospitable and generous and kind and welcoming. We did our best to love on them too, and you know, we just were not. In any way a typical missionary. And that's why we call ourselves the unmissionary <laughs> air quotes.
0: Well, I love that too, because you were there because you were called by God for a mission to go there.
1: Yeah.
0: And you wouldn't have gone there if you hadn't heard from him. So you were living missionally as unmissionaries. Right. But you were doing exactly what God had called you to do was just living your faith out for Jesus in a different geographical location. Yeah. And for people that made an impact, you know, those relationships that you built, I'm sure that they could see something in you all and you never know what God will do with that. Mm -hmm. And that's oftentimes how we impact others' lives, because I think it's, intimidating to some people, especially if they don't feel like they have the gift of evangelism or how do I share faith or wait a second. um, You know, I used to like walk in the grocery store and think, does everybody in here know Jesus? I think I'm supposed to tell everybody in here. I know Jesus. It's just buy your peanut butter and I will send you who you're supposed to talk to. Okay. (laughs) Don't stress yourself out. It's not your job. It's the Holy Spirit's job. So by just giving people access to our lives, Mm -hmm. it speaks volumes Mm -hmm. more than, a specific agenda to plant a church or something, which are all good things, you know, that will be a calling, but not everybody's calling looks the same and it's different in different seasons. And it doesn't mean any is any less impactful for the kingdom. So I just love that you all, first of all, were on board together because God sent you there. You were sent. So that's very cool.
1: There were so many miracles that led us to the decision to move to Morocco. So many things happened with my husband's business and our house and yeah, our kids and friends and so many things that God did that there was no doubt in our mind to not go would have been disobedience. Mm-hmm. So we knew this was of him. And then to get there and to not have an agenda and to not look at people as projects, but to just look at them as people mm-hmm. was the most freeing, beautiful way to express our faith. And yes. I really think that in many, especially in a closed Muslim country, it, it was the most effective way to really establish relationships because people can smell unauthentic.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They can smell when yeah. you're not real <laughs> and you're being real about stuff. Yeah. And I
1: really think that's why we, we had such blessing to make so many friendships You know, it was a unorthodox way of living abroad as a Christian, living out our faith, but I wouldn't change a thing, especially for our kids. They'll never be the same. And it broadened their world. It broadened their faith. It broadened their understanding of the other instead of looking at people groups and just lumping them all together. Our our kids really learned that the best way to know a people group is to get to know the people group and live amongst them, share meals with them, do sleepovers, whatever. We all have some of our very best friends still in Morocco. There mm-hmm. there are... Our- dear, dear friends, and they forever will be.
0: How did the prompting then come for you to come back to Grand Rapids? And how did that happen?
1: Well, it was one of the most difficult decisions we've ever made in our lives, to be honest. We, we thought that we were going to live in Morocco for like 20 years or till retirement. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And it did kind of come to an abrupt end, sadly, mostly because the school that we were a part of had changed hands. So my husband was the financial manager at the school Mm -hmm. and our two sons had graduated from it and they were now back in the States in college. So half of our four children are 4,000 miles away, which definitely added to the complexity of it all. But the school also had changed hands and I just don't think my husband could have stayed working there and felt fulfilled. So he was looking for other work in Morocco because again, we really felt compelled to fund ourselves. We did not want to raise money. We we used some of our life savings, our kids' college funds, like we were funding ourselves. Mm -hmm. And he just wasn't coming up with really good employment options. So it was either stay at the school cause it, that was a job or think about coming back. And then about that time, his parents and one of my parents, uh, my dad started having some health issues. So now we had two kids plus parents starting to need us back in Michigan. Mm-hmm. And so it was a very, very difficult decision. I cried much harder when it came time to leave Morocco than when I cried leaving Michigan to move to Morocco. My heart stayed in Morocco. A big part of it is still there. Now we've been back in the States eight years Mm -hmm. and in retrospect, God's timing was perfect we needed to be here. In fact, my father got rapidly sick. And as a nurse, I needed to take care of him. And he ended up passing away. Paul's parents ended up passing away. Like we needed to be here in the States, but it was the hardest decision we've ever made. We saw ourselves there for a lot, lot longer than four years. And I think our kids could have stayed too. I don't think any of us felt like, you know, really God, we're done this doesn't feel right, but it was right. And his timing was perfect, but it was hard. I'm sorry about all the loss too that you had. It all just happened three years ago now. Mm. When my father passed away, within a couple of months after that, I found out, or we found out my sister um, had brain cancer. My younger sister, she was only 45 and she had a horrific battle with glioblastoma for 13 months. Mm. And then she passed away. And during the year that she was sick, my husband's parents passed away. So we had four very close family members all pass away within 13 months. And with my own health issues and for whatever reason, we, that's the year we moved into the inner city. <laughs> so there's just a whole lot going on in our lives in a very short period of time. It yeah. was pretty traumatic.
0: Yeah. So you're in inner city Grand Rapids. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you have a health issue as well, Cindy.
1: Yeah. I do. I was diagnosed the year we moved back from Morocco and I wasn't really even having any serious symptoms, but I just hadn't had any medical care for all those years that we were overseas. We just did that went by the wayside. And I, I, was in per, I thought I was in perfect health, didn't need any doctoring. Mm-hmm. But after we moved back, I was just, I couldn't get over the fatigue. And I thought maybe it was just the transatlantic move with four kids. And I was just more tired than I thought I should be. And once in a while, I felt a little short of breath. Those were my really vague symptoms, mm-hmm. which led to, oh, maybe six, nine months of testing. And eventually they found what I have it's a crazy long name, Leo. Wait, I said it wrong. myomatosis, mm. And it, I have cysts on my lungs. So it's similar to cancer, but they're not tumors. It's air pockets. And the problem with air pockets being on your lungs is it takes up space where oxygen exchange is supposed to happen. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the biggest and only women get this and it's very, very rare. And it's just there's no treatment. It is degenerative and progressive, and it is going to be what takes my life. But it, in me, it seems to be progressing very slowly. So praise the Lord. I don't know why some women aren't as fortunate, but um, it has really helped me. <laughs> it's crazy to say that a disease helps you, yeah. but it has. I have learned so much about God and how to live each day, each breath, as if it matters, because in me, it does. Every breath is a gift. Breathing is a gift. I, I've been so aware of how much air it takes for me to, you know, walk a mile or climb a set of stairs. Mm-hmm. And so when you realize like every breath is a God given burst of air, it yeah. just really puts you at his feet in mercy. Like, Lord, I can't, I can't even, get out of bed this morning without you. So thank you for this reminder of your presence. And so my disease has been just a real awakening for me. I, I don't think I'm going to get to live as many years as I would have otherwise, which is a loss. But I think I'm making better use of the years that I've gotten or that I have left because of the awareness mm. this disease has taught me.
0: Yeah, we do take so much for granted. I just can see how that faith journey and how the love in the closeness to God has encouraged other people and inspired other people too. And you're writing about these experiences, right? Yeah. Tell us about I mean, that.
1: You know, every, everything that I've shared with you so far, it, none of it came easy. It's not easy to sell your dream house. It's not easy to sell the lucrative accounting firm that you worked hard to establish. It's not easy to tell your kids, oh, we're going to move you halfway around the world, say goodbye to your cousins. It's certainly not easy to find out your sister has brain cancer or that I myself have this Tragic lung disease, but every single one of those instances and so many more, you know, it's suffering that produces that perseverance. And scripture is very clear about that, that we consider it all joy. It's not that God tells us to be thankful for everything, that we have to be thankful for a terminal illness or be thankful for cancer or whatever, but he tells us to be thankful in it. And so all of those things that came, with a, a good amount of challenge, a good amount of heartache, a good amount of loss and sorrow, mm. even selling the house, there was sorrow in that. It still was God teaching us how to be thankful in that. Be thankful that in the midst of selling your dream home, you know that God is carrying you onto the next thing and He's got you and He's yeah. not going to let you fall. So, in that, be thankful and have joy. Mm. So, in everything I have learned to be thankful. And so even though probably, you know, one of the biggest blows is the understanding that I'm my life is gonna be truncated and I'm not gonna be able to see all my grandkids be born. I am not thankful for this disease, but I'm thankful in it. And I'm learning that because of all the things that we have been through over this last few decades, God has proven to me so, so faithful that even in this, even in life and death, Mm -hmm. he's faithful. I can trust that. He taught me by being brave and trusting him with my children, with every step of the way, with everything that we surrendered to him. He's taught me his faithfulness that now when it comes to the end of life and me not getting as many days on earth as what I thought I should get, Mm -hmm. I wanted to be mad at God for that but I I couldn't because he's so faithful. And that's, that's what our story is. So such a good reminder to me constantly. When I look back at how faithful God's been, Yeah, I can trust him with my tomorrows.
0: That's so impactful and encouraging, inspiring. When you were talking about, you're not thankful for, or you're not living joyfully for that, but in it, not because of it, but while you're going through it and while you're in it it just reminded me when you said that too that you have learned because it just sounds just exactly what paul said i have learned to be content in all situations in and all things yeah, yeah. he did yeah. not say
1: for all things yeah
0: that is very powerful how when we're doing bible study looking deeper into how is this worded like what does the meaning really mean And it's easy for to the world can twist things like well how can you be thankful look you're you know you've got this disease and what are, you know things like that but the just the fact being what you just said god is faithful and that is impacting lives mm-hmm. like you're using your gifts to impact the world for christ and that's what is happening there are some things that we don't choose and then there, there are things that we can't choose, like just putting those all side by side. You had a choice. You didn't have to sell your house. You right. didn't have to sell your car. Absolutely. Now you may not have the choice about what your physical disease is, or, you know, what is happening physically with you. So in some things we have choices and some things we don't have choices. It's all up to God, but to choose him in every right. situation right, is what
1: just shines through. That's our freedom. That's our our freedom to choose him. Yeah. In, in every situation, whether they are easy, hard, joyous, or, or challenging, choose him. Yeah. Choose him. You know, the other huge thing that I've concluded, you know, I don't really even know if theologically it all makes sense, but I don't think that the definition of health is bodily only. And I think that we as Christians tend to use the word blessed, you know, I'm so blessed. And we tend to think of it as money, well, as health, wealth, and mm-hmm. status. And, you know, the, like those are blessings. But when those things start to be stripped away, mm-hmm. Paul and I deliberately turned away from from wealth and started giving it away and deliberately started going down the corporate ladder. And then my health and when health and wealth and status and those things are starting to be stripped away, it doesn't mean God has removed blessings from you because his goal is that, and our goal in life is to know him, to know him and be drawn to him, to glorify him and draw others to him. Well, we were able to do that so much better when we were stripped of the health, wealth and status. So I think we got healthier as we lost what the world considers a blessing. And I shouldn't even say lost, like we gave away we chose to walk away from the, the wealth and the status, but that's what made us healthier.
0: Yeah. I our- think that's fantastic theology right there. I <laughs> yeah, think that is makes sense. <laughs> because when it comes down to it, it's us and God. And like they say, you know, that saying you can't take it with you and all of that. And these, I mean, not to minimize your condition at all or what you're going through or the suffering or any of that, but our bodies were not designed to to stay around forever because this isn't our home anyway exactly and so when our spiritual health and our emotional health and what we can impart and share with other people to find that same truth about who god is and to know him right right yeah that is that is the picture of health
1: and, and you know, you, people say
0: you're the picture of health.
1: <laughs> really somebody sick and dying on their last few days, you know, from cancer, they could be the picture of health. Hey, Because I mean, the Beatitudes tell us what God's definition of blessings are not what we have translated them to be here in on earth. Like we, again, we always, we talk about, you know, somebody gets a a new home and you go through it and you say, "Oh, you're so blessed." Well, you know what? Not really. The Beatitudes mm-hmm. say, "Blessed are the poor in spirit," you know, "Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness." Or all the the people that God says are blessed are the ones who have suffered. That's
0: beautiful, Cindy.
1: Why we say when God flipped our lives upside down, he actually flipped them right side up.
0: <laughs> that is that is an awesome quote. I hope that's going to be in your book too. <laughs> I know that this conversation was definitely ordained by God today because people are going to hear it that need to hear it and it's going to bring them such hope. So how can people connect with you, Cindy? I have a
1: website, CindyDeBoer.com and I will respond to anybody who reaches out to contact me. Right now, if somebody subscribes to receiving notifications from my website, I have a uh, free document, a PDF that they can get on there that is 12 simple ways that COVID actually makes us better people. Mm. And so it it kind of builds on some of the themes that we talked about today, that even COVID, even this terrible, awful pandemic, there are so many ways that we're actually healthier people because of it. And mm. so that document they can get for free. But I, I truly, truly have a passion to, well, it's partly my psychiatric nurse background, but also just the the trauma that we have been through with the loss of life in the last few years in my own health. I have a real passion to help people that are struggling with depression right now, PTSD from everything that's happened over the past year. Mm -hmm. I will respond to anyone that reaches out because that's, that's where my heart is. And I love to offer whatever I can.
0: There is a lot of Struggle out there and mm-hmm. your background and training is so needed. So, thank you, Cindy. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> well, this has been so great to talk with you and spend some time with you today. And I'm going to put all of the links in the show notes of the things that we talked about so people can find you and connect okay. with you. That'd be wonderful. And yeah, and I'd love to have you back on the show and hear more about your book and all of that going on. So, oh, great.
1: Thank you so much, Doris.
0: Thank you, friend. All right. Well, we will talk soon. All right. Thank you for listening. And I hope that this episode encouraged, inspired you and challenged you to take some kind of action to step further out into whatever God is calling you to do in your life and to grow closer to him. walk deeper in his word and to know the truth because it sets us free but we also need to know the truth because there's so much untruth out there and worse than even untruth there's half truths and the half truths are really hard because they sound good half of it sounds okay but really the other half isn't true so that makes it all a lie (laughs) okay so let's just uh keep walking in the word together And I would also love to connect with you. So check out my page um, that I'm going to have the show notes on. If you scroll down to the bottom, you will see some resources that I am giving away. And I'll also have the links for Cindy's things so that you can check out and connect with her. And I would just love to hear from you. If you maybe make some comments on the show notes page, subscribe to this podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts. And leave a comment and maybe rating wherever that may be. I appreciate that so much, friend. Thank you. And I hope you'll join me next time when I speak with another woman who's taking action where her passion, compassion, and conviction intersect. Until then, friend, have a blessed week, and I'll talk to you soon.